We're very glad today to welcome you. Religion is a good thing if it comes from God. But if religion comes from man, it's a bad thing. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your spirit. It's bad for your body. And it's bad for your soul. Today, I'm going to talk about the covenants. I'm going to talk about the old covenant, the new covenant, and the everlasting covenant. By the grace of God, we're going to discover today what covenant we're living under today. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me over here to the book of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21 and onwards. Book of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21 and onwards. And I'd like you all please to take a Bible. You'll see them in the backs of the seats. And turn with me today to these texts as we talk about the old covenant. You may say, what on earth has that got to do with us today? I tell you, my friend, it makes the difference between life and death, light and darkness. So would you please notice Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Now, everybody here knows the story. You know about Abraham. You know about his two wives. You know about the children. One came because of the ordinary way. And one came because of a miracle. And the Apostle Paul uses this ancient story to illustrate the two covenants. Would you please read on with me? Verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively, for the two women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You have had no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. What does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman." So the Bible here, through the words of the Apostle Paul, God here talks to us about two covenants. He talks about a covenant which is one that is based on slavery and which comes, he says, somehow from Mount Sinai. So somehow, apparently, it seems, apparently it seems to be tied up with the Ten Commandments. And then he says that this covenant really comes from Jerusalem 
And that was the Jerusalem of his own day. And he says that Jerusalem is in bondage with the children. So there are two covenants. We're going to see today that there's another covenant too that we call, the Bible calls, the everlasting covenant. Now, the first question, my dear friends, we're going to answer today is this. The old covenant, what is the old covenant? But firstly, what isn't the old covenant? What it isn't? Now, there are some people that tell us that the old covenant is the Ten Commandments. I have had a friend for many, many years who was associated with me, whom I love as a brother, and he some time ago put out a, a manuscript. He said, we're free of the old covenant because the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross. And that's why we no longer keep the commandments. We don't keep the Sabbath because all of that belongs to the old covenant. Now, one theologian said rightly, that which proves too much, you know the end of it? It proves nothing at all. Because, my friend, every person under the sun believes in the commandment that says, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, honor your father and your mother. You can't just say, we're going to get rid of all of these. If you're going to do that, we'll get rid of all of them. But don't be picky and choosy. And so that which proves too much proves nothing at all. The old covenant is never called the Ten Commandments. I want to make this very plain. Because in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the words of the Apostle Paul and in the words of Jesus, the Ten Commandments are the holy law of God that every person saved by grace ought to keep. I want you to come over here to the book of Romans chapter 7 just for an example and see what the Word of God says about the Ten Commandments. Romans chapter 7, and would you please notice with me verse 7, verse 12, Romans 7, verse 7, verse 12. Notice verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the Lord had not said, do not covet. Now the Apostle Paul says, I wouldn't even know what sin was except for the Ten Commandments. I wouldn't know what coveting was except for the Ten Commandments. So nobody can say that the Ten Commandments are done away with or the Ten Commandments represent somehow are tied up particularly with the Old Covenant that was nailed to the cross. Because the law of God, the moral law, is holy and just and good. Come down to verse, let me see now, verse 12 in the same chapter. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. And then if you come to verse 14, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, Sold as a slave to sin. My friend, the Bible teaches there's nothing wrong with the commandments of God. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. The problem is with the human heart. That's the problem. And so when people say, well, thank God we're free from that old covenant, they seem to think that they're free from the commandments of God. It is because they are ignorant of the word of God. Now come over here to Romans chapter 8 and you'll notice what Paul says here. Romans 8 verse 6, The mind of sinful man is death, 
But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. When you hear people saying that there's something wrong with the law of God, they're telling you there's something wrong with them. Because the Bible says that the carnal mind, the sinful mind, is hostile or it is opposed to the law of God. Now, let us make it ever so plain. There is nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with the holy law of God. The problem is with the human heart. And that is why you find when you come over to Revelation, it talks about God's people. It says, here is the patience of the saints. You know what it says? Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. The Bible says that when a person is saved by grace, when a person is washed in the blood of the Lamb, that person will want to keep the commandments of God. So whatever the old covenant is, the old covenant is not the law of God. It is not the Ten Commandments. Other people say, don't you know the word covenant is the same word for for testament? Yeah, that's true. And they say, well, the Bible says the old covenant is done away with. And that means the Old Testament is done away with. Once again, we come back to the argument that which proves too much proves nothing at all. Because the Old Testament is filled with moral teachings. For instance, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the book of Deuteronomy. You're telling me that's the Old Covenant? That was nailed to the cross? Are you serious? Then people say, but you know, we got something new today. We just... We just need to love God and love our fellow man because they didn't have that in the Old Testament. Did you know the commandment that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself is found in the book of Leviticus? And so all of these great commandments that we believe in today are commandments that you find out of the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament as a set of books is not the Old Covenant. It's not the Old Covenant. Not at all. And remember this, when people poo-hoo the Old Testament, when people throw away the Old Testament, they're throwing away the only Bible that Jesus ever had. Did you know that? When Jesus got up to preach, he didn't preach from the New Testament. Why? Hadn't been written. When the, and people are going to throw away the only Bible that Jesus had? What sort of superficial nonsense is that? I ask you. So people say, we don't want the Old Testament. Well, you know, when the Apostle Paul went out to preach to the Gentile world and to preach to the Jews, you know what he preached from? Do you think he preached from the book of Galatians? Probably hadn't written it then. Oh, the book of Romans? Most of the New Testament had not been written when the apostles were out preaching. The only Bible they preached from was the Old Testament. Are you going to throw away the only Bible that Jesus ever had? Are you going to throw away the holy law of God that the apostle says that without which we would not even know what sin was? So I want to make this point ever, ever so plain that the Old Covenant, it's not the Ten Commandments. It's not a set of books. It's not the books that we call the Old Testament. It's nothing to do with that at all. I want you to see this. What is this Old Covenant? 
Now come back with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4. The book of Galatians is a book that you need to read over and over again. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 24 and 25. And Paul tells us what the old covenant is. Galatians 4 verse 24, 25. These things may be taken figuratively for the two women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. The Bible tells us that the old covenant is the religion that was so strong in Jerusalem, maybe so today too, but it corresponds to the religion of Jerusalem. It was a religion that took the holy law of God and turned it, my friend, turned the holy law of God as far as the people were concerned in to a yoke of bondage. Now the law of God is never a yoke of bondage. But the attitude of the people towards the law of God made it a yoke of bondage. There may be some of us sitting here in this church today are under the old covenant. And that's why you don't have any peace, you don't have any security, you don't have any happiness, and you don't have any joy. Now, as I'm talking to you today, I want you to say honestly, because it takes courage. I want you to ask yourself, am I a person living under the bondage of the old covenant or have I been delivered? I want you to notice this blackboard over here where I've put down here the old covenant. The Bible says this is the covenant that represents the natural way. We're born under the old covenant. We are born Pharisees. We're born, yeah, we're, you say, I couldn't be born. Well, where do you think it from? Where did you get it from if you didn't get it from the seminary? We are born Pharisees. It is the religion of the natural heart. The Bible says we were born in sin and in sin did my mother conceive me. Some people have the weird unbiblical idea that after you've lived for a long, long, long time, all of a sudden you become conscious of sin and then you become a sinner. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says we were born in sin and in sin did our mothers conceive us. The Bible says this is the religion of Pharisaism. That was the big religion in the days of the Apostle Paul. It was the big religion that put Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it is not dead today because every person here today, including the preacher, is a born Pharisee. The Bible says it is the religion of slavery because it is the religion of legalism. It is not based upon what Christ has done for us. It is based upon what I can do maybe with a little help from God, to please him. It is the religion of do, 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 do. 
It is an intolerant religion. I guess some of you folks know what I'm talking about when I talk about an intolerant religion because maybe some of us have come out of that camp. You see, you know the story that Jesus told about the two worshipers who went up to the temple. You know the story as well as I do. One of them was the Pharisee. Now, who was the Pharisee? The Pharisee was the most upright person in the world in those days. If we were looking for uh, preachers and parsons and conference presidents, you know where we'd go? We'd go to the Pharisees. Because they were the best people in the days of Jesus. They had a burden to keep the world out of the church. They had a correct burden. They said, the problem is with us today is that we've lowered the standards so much that God can't bless us and the Messiah can't come until we keep the law of God perfectly. So the Pharisees taught perfectionism. People say, I don't want to hear that. Well, maybe that's because you're a Pharisee. <laughs> you see, the Pharisees taught that unless Israel, and they taught this, the day would come when Israel, by the grace of God, would keep the law of God perfectly. And when they kept the law of God perfectly, God would pat them on their heads and say, well done, my child. Now I can come because you're ready. I can't come until you keep the law of God perfectly. Hey, that's Pharisaism. If you want to check up on this, go and read George Knight's book. Uh, he has a book out on Phariseeism. You can get it at the ABCs. It's just a great book. I think it's called The Complete Pharisee. The, and talks about what the Pharisees taught. Well, the Pharisees were legalists and they were perfectionists. And the emphasis was not upon what God has done for us, but what I can do. Their religion was, as I've told you before, do, 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 cock-a-doodle-do. That's what it was. And because they were so much into concentrating on their own human works with a little bit of help from God, they looked down on everybody else. I want to tell you, Phariseeism is not dead. We've got a fair share of it today. It's in every human heart sitting here today to one degree or the other. Jesus, as I mentioned before, told the story about the two worshipers that went up to the temple. One was a Pharisee. Now, he was the very best man in town. He paid his tithe. He paid his tithe on everything. He had hundreds of laws how to keep the Sabbath. He was strict, strict, strict in keeping the Sabbath. He believed in the coming of the Messiah. So he goes up to the temple. He's praying away. And the Bible says he prayed. Jesus said he prayed with himself. Prayed to himself. Lord, I thank you I'm not like these other people. <laughs> Glad I'm not like these people next door to our church. Or the people on the other side over here. But I fast twice a week. Beats most of us. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give so much of my money. I do all of these things. I thank you, Lord, I'm not as others. I'm a member of the remnant. And then there comes a publican, a sinner. The Bible says he's a sinner because the Pharisee said he's a sinner. And the poor publican comes in. He doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, this man rather than the other went down to his house justified. 
So the Pharisee, because of his prayer, was condemned to hell, and the publican, because of his attitude, was elevated to paradise. So Jesus knew a lot about Pharisaism because the Pharisees put him on the cross. And the amazing thing, these were the people of the gnats and the camels. The gnats and the camels. Jesus said, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Could you imagine swallowing a camel? How you'd have to get it down and take a lot of swallowing. But they would strain out a gnat. They were big on little things and little on big things. Jesus said, you pay tithe on mint. Even when they got a little bit of mint, they would pay a tithe on it. So they were, they were so strict in what they did. But Jesus said, you've forgotten the most important things. Justice, mercy, the love of God. Then referring to tithing, he said, you should have done this, but you shouldn't have forgotten the big thing. And so these are people who were great on the nets and the camels and they were full of spiritual pride and they loved power and position. They were the people who angled to get on the church board. They were the people who angled to get into high administrative place in the church, the best seats, and to be called rabbi. It's a sad thing that with most, many church boards, I don't know if I can say most, but many church boards are composed of the people who are the least worthy to hold those positions because they want it so much. If you want spiritual position, you've got no right to hold it. Spiritual power is not something to be fought over. It's conferred by God. See, there's a lot of people, and maybe we can have it in our church, they love to be up the front. They love to be seen, but they don't want to be clean. Want to be seen, but they don't want to be clean. They love to be up the front. They'll fight like kill canny cats to get some high office in the church or in the conference or in the general conference because in their hearts, they're Pharisees. So they love power. They're legalists. They love money. Jesus said, you devour poor widows' houses. They could be talking all the religious platitudes and they're scheming to take poor little, some little old widow down and get a house. They love money. They scorn Jesus because he said they loved money and Jesus taught that money was not the important thing in life. So Phariseeism, all of this, and what is more, they were into proselytizing. Jesus said, you'll compass land and sea to make one convert. And when you've got him, you make him twice the, the child of hell than you are. So they were great into building up the kingdom. They wanted lots of baptisms and lots of converts and lots of pomposity and lots of position and lots of statistics because they were into attainment but not into atonement. This is the religion of the human heart and nobody can say in the church today, I am exempt from this because the very fact that you and I were born tells us we're born into this condition. Self-righteousness. And because of this 
dreadful religion. It is a religion of intolerance. Hey, unless you see things exactly the same as I do, I don't like you. If you hold a different viewpoint to me, you got to be wrong. And if you dress a little differently to me, then there's something wrong with you. And if your hair is not cut the same as mine, then you're a pagan. And so when the Pharisee comes into church, he doesn't come in to worship God. He comes in to try to get everybody to be like him. It's the religion of forced conformity. It's the religion of forcing everybody into his own man-made rules. It is an intolerant, persecuting thing. And that's when, why when Paul was a Pharisee, he went out to persecute the Christians. Why would people want to persecute people if in the name of God? Why do people persecute? Because they don't have the religion that comes from God, Bill. They have the religion that comes from the devil. And this old covenant religion is found in every church. Say, no, not in my church. Well, you sound like a Pharisee when you say that. That's what the Pharisee said. Not in my, it is found in every church. Some churches worse than others. But where you have the attitude of persecution and intolerance, slavery. The Bible says, don't be entangled with the yoga bondage. Slavery. Man-made religion. Why do people leave the church? A number of reasons. People leave because of the love of the world. It's one reason. Because they love the world more than they love Christ. But many people leave the church because they come into the church and they see the sort of religion and they say, I'd, I'd rather be dancing, rather go to hell happy than to go to hell sad. Perhaps this is the main reason multitudes of young people leave the church. Of course, this is so hard for Pharisees to believe. Everybody else is wrong, but they're not. So this is a religion of vast intolerance, criticism, putting people down. It's a religion that drives people out of the church and drives young people out. The old covenant, attainment, intolerance, slavery, born with it, love of power and position. Oh, I've seen people fight for positions in the church. I've seen it at conference sessions everywhere. Legalism, money, widows' houses, trying to make proselytes. We want a bigger, bigger organization, but no security. That's why one famous... Pharisee, one rabbi, when he was about to die, he said, don't bury me in black, whatever you do. He said, there's a chance I could wake up with the righteous, then I'll be embarrassed. But he said, don't bury me in white, because there's a chance I'll wake up with the damned and I'll be embarrassed. He said, bury me in gray. You see, no security, no peace, no happiness. This is the religion of sorrow all the time. 
you're a parent, if you've got little kids, if you've got that religion, as soon as they get out of your clutches, they're going to leave the church. Because they're going to say, I don't want to live in that hell. It's one of the main reasons. If you send them to a, a school, and the school has got teachers, they've got this attitude, they're just going to leave the church. That's the old covenant. What's it got to do with the Ten Commandments? Not a lot at all. It's got a lot to do with attitude. It's the attitude towards the keeping of the commandments. You see, attitude makes all the difference. That's the old covenant. Now, there's a new covenant. The Bible says it's a covenant that is based not upon the natural heart, but upon a miracle. You know what the miracle is? The miracle of the love of God. When God comes into our hearts, it isn't based upon my works. It is based upon his works. Because my works are never good enough. Oh, silly Pharisee, I hate that. You're trying to tell me my works are never good enough? Never. They always stink. Oh, where did you get that from? You didn't. Get, yes, the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And if they're filthy, they stink. But that doesn't talk about me. Well, ask your family. <laughs> Listen, this is based upon what Christ has done for us. It is based upon grace through faith. No human merit. It turns us not into wanting power. Oh. When I see how people scramble and fight to get position in the church, I just know they're over here. You see, this turns a person into a servant. Jesus said, I'm not here to be served, but to serve. That's why he washed their feet. That is why I'm glad of Phil out there in the parking lot Greeting people. It's not a big cushy job. He's there in the rain and the heat. Some people say, oh, I want to serve God, but don't ask me to go to Russia in winter. <laughs> Servants. It brings a marvelous freedom that I'm no longer under the law of humanity, but I'm under the law of divinity. That my standing is not dependent upon what even you may think about me. My standing is dependent upon what Christ thinks about me. That brings freedom. It is based upon love that flows from an appreciation of the atoning sacrifice of our Lord. Not my works, but his works. And when I have this new saving relationship, dearly beloved, the law is written on the heart. 
And that's why it says, the book of Hebrews, a new covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. It'll not be like the covenant that I made with them and I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. It says, but finding fault with them. There was nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. When I hear people attacking the Ten Commandments, I hear people who are simply displaying their own carnality. There's nothing wrong with the law. And when it says in the book of Hebrews, a new covenant, the Bible says, finding fault with the people. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with the human heart. But under the new covenant, God works a tremendous miracle. The Bible says, the law is written on the heart. And because it doesn't depend upon my goodness, then I can have freedom and I have peace and joy and security and I can do evangelism. You can't do evangelism when you're under the old covenant. You can get up and preach all the doctrines and send people to hell. But evangelism is the preaching of Christ. That's what evangelism is. People say, but we bring in Jesus at the end of the meetings. Then it's not evangelism. Evangelism is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Only a preacher who is washed by the blood under the new covenant can do evangelism, my friend. Now, I want you to notice another text here because this text is important. I want you to notice a very, very important text that I want you, please, to look at. I want you to come over here to Galatians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 9. Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. Look at me. Abraham was not under the old covenant. Abraham was under the new covenant. But you say, that's impossible. Oh, no, it's not. Because the Bible says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And so Old Testament saints were saved by the new covenant. Now let me give you some more texts on this, my dearly beloved friends. I want you to come over here to Psalm 105 verses 8 to 10. So, Abraham had the new covenant. Now come over here to Psalm 105. And everybody, please turn to the text. Psalm 105, verse 8 and onwards. The Bible says, he remembers his covenant forever. 
the word he commanded for a thousand generations. Now say it with me. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Listen carefully to this. The Bible tells me that Abraham was saved by grace through faith alone. The Lord imputed it to him as righteousness. Then the Bible says, God took this covenant and gave it to a nation. What nation? Israel. So God gave to the children of Israel this glorious covenant. But the people of God in their blindness took the plan of salvation and turned it into a curse. It is called the yoke of bondage. Every person who is saved from the first Adam to the last person is not saved in some different way. Every person is saved by the blood, by grace, through faith. And obedience is the joyful reaction of salvation. Now if you say, oh, it's a drag to go to church, you're a slave. Did you know slavery is not dead? In large portions of Africa, there are hundreds of thousands, even millions of slaves. Did you know that? Yes, you don't know that? In the Sudan, there have been organizations going from this country to buy back slaves. Did you know the Time Magazine reports that America, the United States of America, is in a slave business? There's a slave traffic that goes on in North America. 50,000 slaves are imported to America every year. 50,000 slaves! Up in Washington State, they found a poor black woman who was being kept by a family who ought to be ashamed of themselves because of their own background. They kept this woman as a slave. She was not allowed out of the house. She was not allowed to go down into the front yard. She was not paid anything, and if she disobeyed, she was beaten. There are 50,000 people every year, new ones brought into the United States of America that are kept against their will, mostly women in prostitution from Asian countries and other places, Latin American countries and are kept by good Americans. They're slaves. Nobody likes being a slave. I would hate to be a slave. One of the blackest chapters in the history of the human race is the story of how this nation was involved in slavery. But let us not think it's over. There are millions of blacks today in Africa 
who are slaves, literally slaves, who are beaten, who are kicked. 50,000 new ones every year in the United States of America. Time magazine had a full issue on slavery. Slavery is filled with fear, abuse, coercion. It is a word that should make us tremble. That is this religion. It's a religion of slavery, religion of fear, no peace, no joy, but a desire to make everybody else a slave. You've got to see it as I see it. You must do it as I do it. It is a fierce religion. It beats people physically and spiritually. It is the religion of the human heart. It is everywhere present unless a miracle occurs in the heart. Just as Abraham had a wife, Hagar, had a baby in the normal way, he also had a wife whose name was Sarah. She had a baby in an unnatural way. It was a miracle. You cannot step over here unless there is a miracle. This religion is not revealed. We are born with it. You can be the general conference president, the conference president, the pastor of this church, and have this religion. You won't be disfellowshipped from the church because you have this. In fact, it seems on some occasions to be an advantage for promotion. This is the religion of the proud human heart. There's something in it that appeals to us. The people can lord it over other people, yet they have no joy in their own souls. It is a cold religion. People say, I went along to the church, it was so cold you could skate down the aisles. You know the religion, the religion of the frozen chosen. Many are cold and few are frozen. We laugh at that. It's the religion that nailed Jesus to the cross. You get it naturally, you get it honestly. Just like a mother giving birth in the natural way. But this is not a natural religion. This one comes because of a miracle. And it doesn't happen to every person, though it could. Now, the, if I could use the word carefully, it's almost a scary subject. I've pastored many churches, spoken during my lifetime to millions of people, mainly unbelievers, large, large numbers of believers. And the world is divided, not by color, not black, by white. That's superficial and it's stupid even to magnify it. It's not divided by Hispanics and Anglos, all that stuff. People who are hung up on that are over here, you see. The world and the church is divided into two camps over the issue of the covenants. 
These people don't have it naturally. They may have great natural talent. But this, on this side, is a miracle that is revealed. Please turn to Galatians 1, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Galatians chapter 1, dear hearts and gentle people. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 and onwards. Galatians 1, verses 6 and onwards. You got it? Verse 6. I am astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Christ. So that's a little scary, humanly speaking. You can go to seminary, go to Andrews University, Loma Linda, you can be a professor, you can be a pastor, an ordained minister as I am. But it doesn't mean you've got it. It's revealed supernaturally. Has it been revealed to you? If this is gobbledygook, what you're hearing today, it's an indication it hasn't been revealed to you. Do you love power? Do you love position? Are you tied up with the gnats and the camels? Have you got no security? Do you try to make everybody see it your way? You're still in darkness. It's got to be revealed. I remember, Beverly will remember well. David will remember too. We had a great discussion on this subject when we went to Ukraine. Because the brethren said, tell us about these things. Pastor Harker was there with me. We talked to them about these things. To some of them it was a revelation. Rap, rap, rap. On our window. Beverly and I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning. There's a young man. Can I talk to you? I was the pastor of our... Wurunga Church on the north shore of Sydney where I'll be soon. <laughs> I go out to our living room. He comes in. He says, I can't sleep. He said, I get up at four o'clock. He said, I want to find God. I said, well, don't you know that Christ has died for you? Believe in him. Oh, you're an antinomian. You're, you're preaching cheap grace. No, I won't accept this terrible doctrine you're teaching. I labor with him. 
No. He wanted this. Two days later, they came and took him away to a place for the insane. A little while later, they let him out. I wish I could say he found Christ in the gospel. He didn't. He committed suicide. He said, I can't live. I'm told I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. Oh, God, help me to be perfect. Save me from these deceiving pastors who tell us that Jesus paid it all. Then down in Melbourne, an evil preacher, taught, do, 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 do. You can never have security. You can never know that you're right with God. This young man went into his garage. Young man turned on the motor car. They found him the next morning, dead. Went through our churches, our schools. What happened? Somehow, the message was not conveyed to him. This is supernaturally revealed as it been revealed to you. You can say what you like. You can try to make excuses. The question is, has it been revealed to you? Oh, I told you I'd tell you about another covenant. Yes, I will. Come over here to Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Bible here does not talk in this passage about the old or the new. It talks about the everlasting covenant. What is this everlasting covenant? It is the gospel. The everlasting gospel. It is the everlasting covenant. Why is this called the new covenant? Because this is the everlasting covenant. Why is it called the new covenant? Because the people had lost it. Jesus said, a new command I give unto you that you love one another. And the superficial person says, well, we got something new. Haven't they read all the texts in the Old Testament that say, love, love, love? What does it mean when they say, Jesus says, new? It means you've lost it and to you it's new. It was a new experience. There's only one covenant, the everlasting covenant, which is the everlasting gospel, which was renewed when Jesus came. This old covenant can be understood in two ways, Shondor. Historically, it refers, as the Apostle Paul calls it, the Jews' religion. Because the Jews, pretty much from Mount Sinai until our Lord came, took the plan of salvation and turned it into the yoke of bondage. It's called the Old Covenant. Historically, the Old Covenant had ordinances of worship. 
but it also refers to an experience that people can have at any stage along the line. I remember, Pastor Harker, when I went to your old stamping ground in Papua New Guinea, that Pastor Chester Stanley, who was then just a mere whippersnapper, now the union president in Australia, may the Lord have mercy on our souls, Chester, with his wife, whom I had the privilege of baptizing, and he has never paid a dowry to me, but Chester said to me, I want you to come and meet some of our fuzzy-wuzzy angels. He said, people tell us no gospel has been preached by our missionaries in Papua New Guinea. We went down the marketplace, and I saw that some of those people there had the smiles of angels. As the American writer said, and the look upon their faces makes you think that Christ was black. Talking about the natives who helped our troops in the Second World War. Beautiful faces, smiling faces, happy faces, kind people, not condemning everybody, not harsh Happy people saved by the everlasting covenant. No longer in there. You can tell after you've spoken to a person for a little while, you can tell whether he is under the old covenant or the new covenant. Away with this stupidity that says the commandments are done away with. Stupidity. Up with Christ. Up with the gospel, up with grace, and with the law of God written on our hearts. And of course, you know the old saying, I would not work my soul to save, for this my Lord hath done, but I would work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son.